Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm talking to two guests yet again. We're doing two guests on this podcast day after day. First is Joost van Druen. He's a startup investor and an adjunct professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. Joost, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Joost previously spent about eight years at Superdata, which was acquired by Nielsen in 2018, he served as the global head of games for Nielsen for about two years before settling into full-time investing a few months back. Our second guest is Max Kalehoff. He's the VP of Marketing at Realize and a longtime marketing executive at companies like Clickable and Social Code. Max, thanks for joining the show. Realize is a marketing firm founded in 2017 with offices around the world and has worked with brands like AT&T, Hershey's, Coca-Cola, and more. Last week, the company held a webinar about advertising trends in the gaming industry. Max, why did you want to focus on gaming for the latest webinar? Sure. So Realize uh, focused on a, um, a gaming ads trends uh, report and I held an event around it to uh, pull out key insights about what's going on in that industry. Um, uh, going into the age of COVID-19 and quarantine, um, we noticed that the, uh, the gaming and, uh, and particularly ads is a uh, sector of the of the ad industry that was uh, surging in a few ways, and um, indeed we saw from um, uh, measurements out of the ad tracking company uh, iSpot that uh, that uh, the gaming ads uh, some of them were uh, 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 starting to to surge. Uh, so we had a couple of big blockbuster releases, and we had uh, a number of key game advertisers. Uh, that were uh, very relevant in this age of quarantine. So uh, we we wanted to probe uh, what was happening in that space um, as a company that um, measures uh, human attention uh, and emotion um, uh, of people. Um, we we're very much aware that we're in a new age, a new normal of eyes on screens and cameras always on. And so uh, that is a an application that very much lends itself to gaming. Uh, so we wanted to probe some of those issues. So indeed, it's a, it's a surging category, and uh, one that is poised to uh, to benefit during uh, during during this period where where people are looking uh, more for escape and entertainment and the uh, safety and comfort of their home. And PCs and mobile devices are very very accessible. Yeah, we're seeing basically across the board record-breaking numbers on Twitch streams, on YouTube videos, on in-game player stats, just across the board. Everyone's stuck at home and a lot of people are playing video games. When you break down gaming advertising, there's a few different things that come up. There's partnering with Twitch or the Twitch streamer to be in that gaming world. There's doing in-game advertising like many of the big budget blockbuster releases have done with Star Wars, with Avengers being a part of Fortnite. And there's smaller activations as well. I, I talked to a tea company that held a special, it was a CBD tea company. So for 420, they held an Animal Crossing get together where they invited a bunch of players in. So for marketers, there's really these all these different options for advertising in video games. Where were you guys focusing on in this webinar? You know, what, what type of gaming advertising was most discussed. Sure, D despite the fact that games are becoming huge uh, um, um, vehicles for, for for advertising, for essentially delivering attention to advertisers. So advertisers 
who are not games, not game companies can participate and reach new audiences in, in, in mass and scale. The reality is that a lot of these game companies uh, are rely rely on on, on traditional media um, and and very often video in order to promote their titles. So, um, TV ads is a is, is was a very big sector for um, for for video game titles um, as well as platforms like GameFly, which are subscription services, and and even game platforms like the Nintendo Switch. Um, so, uh, despite gaming being a big, uh, category, um, of, of media unto itself, it, it still relies heavily on, on, uh, other, other channels and, and particularly, d- uh, digital and video, which lend themselves to, um, showcasing the benefits because it's a very emotional, uh, uh very, very, video is very emotionally, uh, appealing and, 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 and can be effective at conveying, um, the experience uh, inside a game. So, so we 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 started the discussion, you know, on the premise of the surge in video game TV advertising, and uh, there were certainly some some advertisers which distinguished this age of COVID um, in terms of their their marketing dollars and where they're spending. Uh, so Bethesda Software Networks uh, was certainly uh, one of the one of the big um, advertisers with their uh, with their uh, um, uh, a, a game uh, called uh, Doom uh, Eternal, and uh, Call of Duty Warzone was another big uh, game that was uh, heavily promoted on TV. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, um, there were some sort of platforms that we that we noticed that were uh, uh, which were uh, promoting to to people. I mean, mainly GameFly, which is uh, you know a great a great way to access and uh, and, and safely partake in games uh, through subscription. And then, and then Nintendo Switch—they were on a on, on a big a big uh, uh, burst. So uh, we started the conversation there, and you know the big finding, which is is uh, maybe not surprising um, to many, but um, you know the big blockbuster video games are are inherently oriented with a lot of sort of shooter and um, uh, more violence and action. Um, and so what we saw. Uh, in in, respect, in in measuring consumer response is a you know a big a lot of resonance with young males and so again that's probably not surprising but did underscore that um, as games are becoming more mainstream with you know almost half of gamers now women that um, there's just in, in in mainstream media there's there's a big opportunity to tap into them where they're not we did see with uh, the advertisements from GameFly and Nintendo that. Um, that uh, the gaming sector, the the concept of gaming, very much appeals to women. So there there are there are promotions and 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 value propositions around gaming, which very very much resonate highly with women. But but we did see a, a big bias toward um, the the big gaming promotions in in, in March and April, uh, oriented toward the sort of shooter style games. A lot of different things I want to break down coming out of that answer. Uh, the Nintendo Switch really sticks out to me as a very accessible gaming console. My partner has been playing a ton of the Nintendo Switch, not a huge gamer before this, but it really brings in a lot of people, and it also goes in the face of that shooter movement and the shooter demographic that we've always associated with esports and video games, not who's playing the Switch, generally not who's playing Animal Crossing, Breath of the Wild, it's this whole other group of gamers and people that are coming into gaming for the first time, which is a huge opportunity for marketers. If they can get into the Nintendo world, notoriously very hard 
to break into for marketing. Uh, beyond that, there's also the brand safety aspect that you talk about with all the different shooters. So really want to dive in to a wide variety of stuff there. Uh, but first, Yoast, you know, you, you're talking, you were part of this webinar as well, and you've been in the gaming world at least for a long time. How have you seen advertising in the gaming world evolve over the years? That's a really good question. So, so there's a there's a few precedents, right? The um, the larger theory goes that you know gaming is that one category in entertainment that does not have a sustained you know section of its revenue come from advertising compared to everything else: music, film, TV, radio. You know. We know it, it's in there, it's part of the ecosystem and consumers accept it, like nobody complains. None of the creatives go, this is blasphemy. Uh, and so, so for all intents and purposes, there's, there's been over the last few decades as gaming became a bigger deal for consumers uh, and, and just creative industries, there's been this ongoing conversation, how can we make this work? And you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, for instance, there was, um, this this acquisition spurt where you had Microsoft acquiring Massive, if you recall, this is like 200 million bucks they spent because they were going to hang in-game ads and billboard ads in video games, right? Mm -hmm. Need for Speed was going to have uh, billboards and horror games were going to have Coke vending machines and none of it worked. And the reason is not because it's a dumb idea. It's because the games industry has not historically been tuned to collaborate with the brand business, right? With the ad business. So it really means that you have a project that takes five years to complete. Suddenly towards the end, at the 11th hour, a bunch of execs come in saying, hey, we spoke with this really fantastic person over here. They're gonna give us some extra money and you're gonna hang these ads in and, and designers and developers go, yeah, we can't because you know we're basically maxed out our processing capacity in this level design, or it doesn't go with the textures. And and really, as a creative business, they, they don't want that, right? It's, it's sort of, a, it's very counterintuitive to their process. So for a long time, that hasn't happened. So the question around ads and games today is, why would it work now? And the answer is, and, and, and Max already referred to some of this, uh, the games industry, the audience for gamers today is, vastly larger than it was 10, 15 years ago. Right? So that's the first part of it. It's just, you know, we're talking two and a half, maybe 3 billion people worldwide that will actively pay games. So that's a that's half the population, that's cool. Then the second piece of it is of course that uh, we have a lot more diversity in the audience too. Uh, for the longest time games uh, had been that uh, category that focused mostly on a very narrowly defined user base because making games became more expensive. So let's just make what works. And what works is things that blow up and things that explode and things that go fast. And so you get the idea of what kind of profile of a consumer sits in the middle of that. That's not the case anymore, right? You, see, you have much more uh, variety and diversity in the user base. Uh, there's much more variety in the content offering. So things like Fortnite and things like Animal Crossing and Minecraft that is a very different genre, very different feel than what you have historically seen in the business. So it opens up opportunities to then say, okay, we have a larger audience, we have a more diverse audience. Can we engage a conversation? 
and then the, the final component really is uh, people watch as much as they play nowadays. You know, that's, yeah. with, with Twitch and Mixer and YouTube and for Huya and Douyu in, uh, in Asia, all these platforms are tremendously popular. You know, month over month, viewership is up in every direction. So you see now all of a sudden an opportunity where it's like, hey, that's much more closely related to the ad business. We could make this work. So then the final piece is really economical, right? Or, or economic in nature. So game companies, they take up a huge amount of capital to make cool games, cool experiences. And it would really and it really offsets their risk to have a broader structure in finance, right? So that they don't just rely, and this is what we've seen over the last 10 years, as the big the digitalization in the games industry allowed them to get away from a physical sales model, physical transaction model, because that's really far more high risk because you got to ship discs to GameStop and everybody else. And so, you know, and then maybe you'll sell all of them, but probably not. So you got to, you know, account for all that stuff. Digital removed a lot of those inefficiencies because you can just distribute it over the internet. And so now we have physical and digital distribution, an additional model, an additional novel revenue model in that context is advertising, where you say, hey, you know what, if I can pipe this in, I can further offset my losses. And it worked really well uh, in Asia, for instance, last year when the, the world's biggest publisher is Tencent. And they had a lot of problems getting uh, approvals for new titles in the Chinese market. The government was doing a reorg on the regulatory body that was determining all this. And so Tencent sitting there going, we can't monetize uh, Fortnite in China because we're not allowed to release it or PUBG, one of the two. It was, uh, I think it was Fortnite. You're right. They, they own 45% of Epic Games and they weren't able to get it into yeah. China. Which was right, but if incredible. It's, 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 it's a disaster. But if you look at their earnings, they were still up for the quarter for the year because they offset that that hole that they were they were suffering with ad revenue. So Tencent figured out it's like, hey, I can basically leverage and basically mitigate the risk that I have by being so dependent on the Chinese government by accepting more ad revenue and ad dollars and 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 then diversify my revenue streams. And so that worked really well. I think in that example, and I think that the market is ready. And so you start to see these conversations where brands have always been interested, but I think the industry now accepts and embraces it far more than they ever have in the past. So I, I expect to see a lot of changes there. I definitely agree. And I think it's worth spending some time on Fortnite and Epic Games for a while because they've really pioneered a lot of interesting new things. And you look at uh, bringing in Thanos and being able to control right. the the big bad from Avengers, doing another Avengers, doing Star Wars, bringing in the Jordan brand uh, for a unique mini game. There's they've done so many different activations over time, and there's a couple reasons for that, right? That Epic Games was able to do that. One is that it's free and it's like you said, only downloadable. There's no disc for Fortnite which means they can constantly update and they can, it doesn't have to be a permanent ad. It can be a two week limited time promotion, which works way better. And people are way more accepting. If Thanos was still in the game two years later, people would be like, this is so annoying. Like get him out of here. But for two weeks, it's great. It's perfect. Second, they own the unreal engine. So they're able to do things in the game 
that nobody else can do because they understand it. We saw that with the Travis Scott concert a few weekends ago. That was actually a while back. But 27 million unique players joining in to watch a concert that really only Epic Games could have pulled off within one of their titles because they can make the Unreal Engine do some just incredible things. Mm -hmm. And third, the game's free, which I think means that players are way more accepting of advertising in it because there isn't that upfront cost. Or if you pay $60 for a game and then there's billboards everywhere, take Need for Speed, for example, there's billboards everywhere, there's branding everywhere. You're like, okay, well, this is kind of a little greedy. And Fortnite being <laughs> free gets away with that, even though people have spent $200 on skins at this point. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because you recall that like 10, 15 years ago, the consumers were like, yeah, wait, I have an, I have an ad now in my racing game but I get no discount on any of this. I'm still paying 60 bucks, right? And so they felt there was a big pushback for consumers that, you know, they didn't like that. They didn't like to say like, okay, the publisher gets more money, but I get nothing out of this exchange. It's totally unfair. But in Fortnite, of course, the game is free. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll accept an ad. I'll accept a promotion. It's no problem. And the final thing I want to talk about is the type of brand. And I think this is something that was discussed in the webinar is when you do an in-game advertising They've been very successful in the entertainment world, like we talked about in the fashion world. Uh, Jordan, Louis Vuitton, and League of Legends being very successful, very well received. Is there some type of brands that this works for and some type of brands that probably can't quite insert themselves as seamlessly into video games? Do you think there's a divide there and, you know, which brands this is an option for or at least well, I have more successful? I mean, for? I have a pretty clear point of view on that, talking to a number of CEOs and heads of digital from what you'd call the more conventional types of businesses like CPG, insurance, healthcare, less entertainment, less, less edgy, less sexy. And, and, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, I think you talked a little bit about sort of the culture inside gaming. Well, there's also, there's also a culture that exists in the, in the, in the management of brands within the large, within the world's you know, most storied and, 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 and largest in, in, biggest businesses in the world so um there's as there's as much you know of of the games needing to create monetization models around advertising there's 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 equally as much of a of a reconciliation needs to happen on the brand side as well um you know there's uh it's it's uh i don't believe i think it's 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 public but you know, there's there was recently a um a a big gamer hackathon which took place at procter and gamble recently, which was all about getting uh, the company's brand leaders from around the world starting to think about the culture and the dynamics of their brands becoming relevant inside games. So it is very true that the old, that, that the conventional uh, models of, of brand building that are built off of media scale of you know, come up with a brand brief, uh, give it to your creative agency, have the creative agency pass the, the the creative you know the TV ads off to the media agency. Then the media agency runs the ads. Like it, it the the, ga the gaming world has not created uh, the 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 kind of turnkey mechanized um, you know, the the system to to accept and scale brands like that yet. Nor have the brands learned the culture to enter the conversation within within games. So I would say it's less about which which game which brands are 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 are, are right and which game, which brands are wrong for the world of of, of in-game advertising it's more to do with reconciling on the game side 
the platforms and the systems and the the units and the 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 the, the solutions that create value for the brands and on the brand side learning the new workflow, uh, learning the new ways that create value, which, which connect um, uh, appropriately, um, and create relevance with, with, the, with, the, with the community and the people that they're trying to create. You know, it's about creating the right message at the right time with the right people. And, and it all in context makes, makes a big, big difference. So I would pose that it's less about a specific brand being right or wrong and more about both sides of the brands and, the, and, and then the publishers uh, working together to create solutions, which um, which which you know create value um, for everybody, including including the gamers or the consumers. Right, there's an opportunity here. It just takes you know it might be a little more natural for some brands or companies. P and G has done a ton of work in the gaming world. I, I saw a recent ad with Gillette and Doctor Lupo. Uh, Old Spice was actually the first brand to ever stream on Twitch. It's one of my mm -hmm. gaming advertising trivia questions. Back in 2015, they streamed an Old Spice nature adventure on Twitch, where it was like a choose-your-own-pathway, way ahead of its time. Now we see Wendy's getting applauded for it five years later, just streaming Animal Crossing. People are like, wow, Wendy's is on Twitch? It's like, Old Spice did it first. Uh, but it's... A really interesting time to be a marketer because there's so much opportunity there and you're right it's a little harder for for your cpg brands for your insurance companies to figure out where they fit in but they were able to do it in the sports world where there isn't naturally that comparison either when you look at sports and gaming it feels like most brands have found a way to connect with sports fans do you feel like it's possible to reach that same mass adoption I gamers think, well, this is Max time. speaking. I think it's it's probably um, it's yes on on both sides. Of course, context is going to matter. Um, very, very, very strong in, in in deep value brands that are you would call, you call them more household brands. They care a lot about brand safety, and they care a lot about juxtaposition. Um, you will not see a a a many. You not see many. Uh, billion-dollar brands that have very, very high trust um, that want to be associated with certain things like maybe violence or sex or nudity. And not to say that that's right or wrong, but there's certain brands that really stand for certain values, and they there, there's going to be many who, who are going to want to avoid what they call unsafe brand juxtaposition. Um, but in the you know in the realm of sports um, and esports, you know you see you absolutely see that happening and. You, you correctly noted that um, you know probably every brand in the world um, in some of the very conventional industries have have figured out a way to 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 uh, uh, assimilate with sports uh, whether it's beverage and even even to mention P and G again um, recent years had a very successful and well regarded campaign of tapping into the um, the theme of mothers of Olympians. Um, and uh, and so you're starting to see that happen in esports as well. It's sort of one of the very natural, easy ways to to get into the into the into the world of online gaming. So I think it's it's more of a matter of time and and developing and working solutions. But you always see that 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 filter of of appropriate context and alignment with the values um, and and relevance. 
Yeah, let's talk about brand safety a little bit. Actually, the first article I ever wrote for Adweek about a year and a half ago now was how brands are handling in-game violence. And I got one of my favorite quotes from uh, Gillette from Procter & Gamble. And the quote was, through Procter & Gamble and through Gillette, we have things we just don't think we should be associated. That's Greg Via, global head of esports, esports and entertainment marketing for Gillette. Quote, we're not doing the first-person shooter game. We're not doing Call of Duty. We're not doing Counter-Strike Global Offensive. The line is when you're actually seeing blood in parts. In Overwatch, the animation is different feel, and there's a lot more than just the killing and the violence. Yost, is that an attitude you've seen from a lot of different marketers where they draw the line right there with this fantasy violence like Overwatch or a Fortnite may be acceptable to them, but when you get into the real world, your Call of Duties, your CSGOs, that might be just a little bit too far. Absolutely, right? So the, the number one question, and Max will confirm this, is a, a concern about brand safety, which, of course, you should you should be concerned, right? For the same reason that you don't want your brand alongside a YouTube ad with some lunatic, right? The people are always vigilant because that's the business. It's the sort of intellectual property of the brand. And so they have to be very weary and, 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 and earn the side of caution at all times. That said, you know, video games have evolved tremendously, right? I just listed all those reasons. And so what has changed in the aesthetics and the experiences that games offer today is that it is no longer some race to the bottom as to who can come up with the most violent, gory immersion. Today, you see an offering in the games industry that's much more diverse, much more mainstream. And so there is a broader variety of contents available. The technology, in other words, has changed, right? The aesthetics of the business have changed, but in the minds of a lot of people that are currently in charge in the ad business, you, you have an incredible amount of conservatism, right? And so a big part of my business at Superdata uh, in 2014, 2015 consisted of helping people, uh, mostly sort of younger managers inside of a big brand or a big you know, traditional media firm and helping them you know, make visible to their boss's boss that they would have much better ROI on addressing an audience through games than they would through more conventional channels. But, you know, people sitting five, 10 years away from retirement in the big brand, they're not trying to make rash decisions or, you know, break things on the way out. So you get a lot of sort of inertia in these businesses where the opportunity realized to kind of take that, taking it more serious. Like, look at the numbers, right? And I think companies like, like Max's, they provide the data to prove the case. I spent a long time talking to companies with, you know, we would track Twitch and YouTube and compare. We do a bunch of AI stuff around uh, sentiment and safety. And it's basically initially to help everybody on the brand side feel, feel comfortable with the idea. Because in their mind, it's still all zombies all the time, right? But in fact, it has changed a lot. And so I think that's, that's the moment. So the technology has advanced, but the social practices around gaming and advertising have not, right? And the decision makers certainly haven't. So, so that's, that's, a, that's a market opportunity, I believe. Do you think attitudes are changing? You mentioned how Procter & Gamble is holding these hackathons. We have a lot more gamers ascending ranks, especially as tech companies become the most dominant companies in the world. Tons of games. I feel like you're more likely to see a League of Legends match on TV within Twitter than uh, than NBA maybe. So do you think there's attitudes are changing within companies as they approach gaming and more gamers are in charge of these decisions? 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the um, so what you would see uh, in say fifteen years ago is you'd have a big brand and they say social media is a thing. We need to be on the Facebook. Let's hire an eighteen-year-old fresh out of college or whatever, right? so some young person. They would they would know how to do the, the social media part. And I think that has since then professionalized. And so the first generation of esports uh, that you see now, or it's not the first generation, the most recent generation, it tends to be relatively young people that are, you know, have an affinity for gaming. They've always played games or they understand the, the sort of lingo. And they make that audience accessible to these brands. So they're they become the conduit or the translator for that for that kind of initiative. Um, where, but in the same way that social media was this sort of wild west that nobody understood, and now it's this rationalized business, uh, brands and video games will go the same way, where you just start to have professional divisions. And you can see it in the agencies a little bit already. Uh, I think uh, you can see it in some of the major brands where they take it very serious, where you have, you know, there's a very thin line uh, in, in my network between people that work uh, for, say, computer hardware, or are part of the, the marketing team for an esports crew, right? And so, so they they tend to jump ship back and forth. And there tends to be, of course, like joining an esports team is the more startup cooler thing to do. And but working for a brand is sort of you're you're the cool kid in the, in the room that does the exotic thing. So that's happened a lot. But over time, you're going to start seeing that professionalizing where games should be just a channel. Next time, yeah, I would, I would I would build on what Yo said. Uh, around social, where you, you mentioned there might be a, a young social media enthusiast who, who gets brought in to be the person, you know, leading that. And, and the, the maturation path you saw on social, um, you can pretty clearly map it to the, um, the goals or the outcome metrics. So in the, in the very early days of Facebook, uh, as as Facebook was going, you know, just on wildfire, um, exploding in popularity around the world, you saw Facebook try to instill on the business world vanity metrics such as likes or shares or interest, and those metrics don't really mean anything um, to the existing workflow uh, of of the media and advertising world, nor do they mean much to business outcomes and in, in terms of sales. But um, once uh, you know, once Facebook got past its mobile challenge and made itself relevant on mobile, like around that same period is also when they started um, mapping their own platform um, uh, and their own ad solutions, their own marketing solutions to the actual KPIs and outcomes that marketers are really looking for, such as reach or direct response or sales lift or or brand lift or awareness um, but or 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 the ability to uh, run a, a, a sales study is there a correlation of actual sales against uh, impressions of reach and so those are real metrics and, and outcomes that the marketers wanted and and once Facebook did that that became the model and that and that 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 made it you know one of the most valuable companies in the world and what happened next? You saw Twitter follow almost the exact same path. You saw Pinterest follow the exact same path, even hiring many of the same team that came over from Facebook. You saw Snap do the exact same thing. 
And so you see these, you often see early platforms that um, become hugely popular, try to instill their way of doing things with advertisers. It doesn't really work. And then as they mature, they align, you know, with, with, with the advertiser, with, with the actual uh, uh, KPIs. And if you can agree on the goals, that's half the battle. Make sure you have the incentives and the goals aligned, and then you can start to build from there. And that's, that's probably the key, the, the, the key, uh, the key to success right there. Absolutely. And let's wrap on that. Just looking at a final question on the metrics and you both have background at Nielsen at these other companies that have, you know, measured the success of activations and things like that. What does gaming need to improve in that area? What do marketers need to see that really shows just how successful a brand activation was? Uh, you know, what progress needs to be made on that front? Let me, uh, let me start here because I also have to jump out, right? Um, so the, the metrics that they want to see varies by category. I've had conversations with, you know, people that sell soda saying, I want to be able to, you know, give a streamer a code and then trace it back to actual sales. So I can say, Timmy on Twitch, help me push, you know, a hundred thousand cans you know, to that level and because digitalization of, of a lot of the business uh, has afforded companies to track things in a whole new way. So they're going to want the same thing. And I don't think that the games industry is currently set up for that just yet, but you know, you do have indicators with regards to, you know, sentiment when it comes to purchase intent. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the, the real trick is currently like targeting and reach, but then, you know, also the calculation of ROI. Um, the mo so, but that's okay for now, I think, because right now we're really in that bottom bucket, right? Big brands, they say, well, I got a hundred million bucks to spend annually. Eight to 90% of that is already signed away to sports events and all this other stuff. But if I can get an extra bang for my buck out of the top, out of that, out of the bottom ten percent of my budget, I'll do it. So, so ROI calculations and measurements are really an early stage because the games industry will stop. But it's also not necessary per se to show those numbers too soon at this time. It will be in eighteen months, I'm sure. Right. So now that the, the business is really taking a external look or a, a closer look to it, but over time. Uh, it would really just be that can they help push product and can we trace it back? And so you see Twitch and Amazon. Amazon uh, has set Twitch up where streamers will get a kickback from every game that people buy through their channel. And so, you know, they're clearly geared themselves up to have a fully vertically integrated channel where you go from A to B to C to D, where I land on Twitch, I go to a streamer, I like the game that they're playing this week, I'm going to go buy it, and off I go. There's no reason why you can't do that with backing videos. Right. And so, so, so I think that that's, um, that, that's what the sign of the process. It's, it's currently still working as well. I'll let Max talk to it. Yeah. Well, I agree a hundred percent. You know, that, and what I, I view is what Yost described is aligning on the KPIs and, and those are, you know, KPIs around, um, you know, what are the, what are, what, what are the, uh, campaign metrics? What are the ROI metrics? Um, but there's, there's something else I think is fundamental that the, gaming industry is is trying to solve and and i know this personally from 
working with him on, on R&D with my own company of, you know, we're a computer vision and emotion and attention detection company. So we use, we use front-facing cameras to passively measure the attention and engagement of people as they interact with applications and, and, and things like games or, or, or video platforms. So there's, there's a fundamental question that uh, the world's largest video and gaming platforms are, are seeking to answer. We, we see this firsthand um, you know, as we're in the business of we use computer vision to measure uh, attention of, of people as they, as they interact with uh, video or with, interact, or with apps like games uh, or, or, or streaming sites. And uh, there is a sort of a, 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 a common belief um, in, in the, the most successful um, uh, streaming and gaming platforms that they hold an extraordinary amount of attention um, compared to um, a lot of other media vehicles. And the thing is, they're probably right. The challenge is that the traditional measures um, of impressions and clicks and view-throughs um, don't actually capture and, and, and qualify nor quantify the human attention that these very immersive and very engaging experiences are, are holding. So um, one thing I, I, I will say is everything that you just talked about in terms of um, um, those, those you know, ROI and campaign metrics is true. But there is a, a an even a further holy grail that these platforms are looking to um, to um, substantiate, and that's the extraordinary amount of detention that they capture in terms of the volume and the quality, and uh, that's something that we'll start to see um, some uh, some more advancement on from companies like Realize as, as well as others in the future. But it's a big, big uh, topic and question that that. Uh, that the publishers have and uh, advertisers would like to know it too. They would love to know where is the best place uh, to, um, to garner the greatest uh, attention of the, of the people, the community, the consumers that they're seeking to connect with. Absolutely. It's the big question for all marketers and all advertising and realize helping answer that question for some of the world's biggest brands. Max, thanks for joining the show. Again, Max Kalhoff, VP of Marketing at Realize, and our other guest, Jos Ben-Druin, uh, adjunct professor at the Stern School of Business, NYU Stern School of Business. Thank you both for joining the show. I really appreciate you taking the time.